Wow. Okay, so I cried all the way through the music. So um, great morning, ladies. Thank you so much. Good morning. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. Uh, I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. I hope you all had a great Easter. I love it that the lilies are still up here, that we can still just remember the fabulous celebration that we were able to have this past weekend. This last um, week, I was searching on the Internet looking for something. I ran across a website that it was actually kind of a blog where people had written about things that had changed their lives. And it was pretty interesting. I stopped and read some of it for a while. And, of course, there were all the usual things that were there. People, you know, blogged about how having their children had changed their lives or some accident or illness that had changed their lives, something catastrophic like divorce or death of a family member, of course, had had an impact, changed what their lives looked at. But you know, the things I found most interesting were there were a lot of them that talked about something that had happened in their childhood uh, which had changed their life. And here they were, decades later, as an adult, still remembering it and still blogging about it on the Internet. One of them said when he was uh, in kindergarten, his brother let him hold his trumpet. And from that day on, for 40 years, he'd had a passion for the trumpet. And it all started that day when he just held the trumpet. Another gal said she went on a field trip when she was only seven years old, and it was to a newspaper office. And she grew up with a passion to work in a newspaper office and had pursued that all of her life, and that's actually what she did. But my favorite one was uh, someone that said that uh, it changed their life when their kindergarten teacher gave them the wrong answer, and they realized that adults could be wrong. Uh, Do you remember that day when you realize your parents don't really know everything? They just act like they do. I still remember that. Well, this morning as we look at the remnant of Israel, we can see that certainly they had a circumstance that changed their lives, didn't they? If you remember, they have been released from captivity in Babylon and they've been allowed to travel back to Israel, to their homeland with Zerubbabel. And certainly that would be a life-changing incident, wouldn't it? Uh, But as we look at Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning, we are actually going to see that it's something more than circumstances that have changed the lives of the nation of Israel. We're going to see how their hearts were changed, how their hearts were changed so that even their futures, their whole lives were transformed through the amazing power of God's Word. And it's actually a pretty simple recipe that we have here in Nehemiah chapter 8, one that we can all follow. So if you haven't already done it, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, and let's look together at the heart transformation of the remnant of Israel. Verses 1 through 6 in chapter 8 say this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns and all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. 
So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on the right side were seven men whose names are difficult to pronounce and on the left side were seven more men whose names are difficult to, pr- to pronounce. And Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. You know, Ezra had arrived in Jerusalem 14 years before Nehemiah, and his main reason for returning to the homeland had been pretty simple. Uh, After the captivity was over, Ezra wanted to return to the homeland simply to teach the people who had already returned under Zerubbabel God's law. Um, And King Artaxerxes, amazingly enough, if you recall, had actually given him uh, permission to do that. Look on your verse sheet with me, Ezra 7, 6 says, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which is the Lord. Uh, He gave the the God of Israel, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And Ezra um, 7, verses 10, 11, and 14 say, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law and to teaching its decrees and the laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. So Ezra had returned to Jerusalem qualified to teach the law and even certified by the king of Persia to go back and teach the law. But what Ezra discovered when he first uh, stepped foot back in Jerusalem Jerusalem was difficult and it was probably even heartbreaking for Ezra because what he discovered was that the people that had already returned before him were in a dark place both spiritually and morally look back at your verse sheet again on Ezra chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 after these things have been done the leaders came to me meaning Ezra and said the people of Israel including the priests and the Levites have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So the people, even and especially the leaders, have blatantly disobeyed God's law here, totally disregarded it, gone off and done exactly what it is they want to do. And in the last chapter of Ezra, the people, chapter 10, we did that with Deb a few weeks ago, the people actually reaped the consequences of not knowing the law, not understanding the law, and certainly not obeying the law when they had to send away their unbelieving 
wives and children. And they did that to protect the worship of the one true God and protect the future of the remnant of Israel. But it was a result of their disobedience. So now we have Ezra. 14 years later, he stands up before all the people in chapter 8. And it's obvious something has changed. These people are different. You know, the wall has been completed and it's actually been about two months since apparently the people have had an opportunity for Ezra to read the book of the law um, to them. And so now they gather together and they actually request him to read it to them after two months of being so involved with the wall. And what we see here is pretty fascinating in light of what we know about who they were when Ezra first arrived on the scene. It has taken Ezra 14 years of faithfully ministering the word of God to these people. 14 years of reading the scriptures to them to bring them to this place. The effectiveness of Ezra's ministry of the word of God had actually already been uh, really realized a little bit because when Nehemiah showed up on the scene, they were willing to obey God and take on the challenge of obeying the law with Nehemiah, obeying God's command, under difficult circumstances and even constant opposition. That's all we've talked about for the last few weeks is the opposition that they actually had. But we could see the fruit of what Ezra had been doing in their lives because they were willing to do that with Nehemiah. But after being away from Ezra's teaching and God's word for two months, now they've gathered together, actually hungry for God's word here at the water gate. And they ask Ezra to read to them, and what he reads is what they have is considered their scriptures, which is the five books of, the, um, of Moses. And he reads it to them from daybreak till noon. And that could have been as long as six hours, perhaps. And the text tells us that not only did he read to them for six hours, they listened attentively for those hours. Um, when Ezra opened the scrolls to read to them, We see what happens here. They stand up. So for six hours, they stand and listen to Ezra read the Word of God and pay attention to it. Now, can you imagine what our churches would look like today if we said, come at daybreak and we're going to let you stand here in the sanctuary and we're going to read the Bible to you for six hours? I'm thinking we wouldn't need very many pews here because uh, we probably wouldn't have a big crowd. Um, But that's what happened right here in Nehemiah chapter 8. You know, and in verse 6, when Ezra praises God as he reads, the people begin to shout, Amen, Amen, and bow down in worship before God. It doesn't say it in the text, but I can only imagine how overcome Ezra was um, as he... I cried during the singing. I can't imagine that Ezra just didn't cry or dance and shout with joy as he saw this transformation in this group of people that was really taking place before his very eyes. You know, when Ezra left Babylon years before and headed to Jerusalem, he knew the life-changing power of God's Word. And he knew that his calling was to bring that life-changing power to these people that had already gone back to Jerusalem. And because he does what God has asked him to do, he gives them an essential ingredient, an essential ingredient of a transformed life, God's Word, an essential ingredient. And as he reads to to them, they discover who their God is through God's Word. Um, I became a believer 
at the age of 26, and a lot of you here have heard me tell this story before. Uh, but when I became a believer, I didn't own a Bible, and I got up the next morning after accepting Jesus through kind of a unique circumstance the night before, and somehow I knew that I needed a Bible. And I, I got right in my car, first thing, got dressed, went and found some place. I wasn't even sure where you could buy a Bible, but I found a place, and I bought a Bible, and I began to read it that very day. Now, I had just met Jesus, but there was something in my spirit um, that made me know I needed to know him. And somehow, I, I discerned that this Bible was the way to do that. When I met Jesus face-to-face the night before, I'm sure I was like a deer in the headlights, um, saying to him, Okay, what do I do now? I get what we've just done. I get you're my Savior. I get all that, but I don't know what to do next. And something in my spirit heard him answer, read my word. And I was so excited to have this book because I didn't have anything else yet. I didn't have a church. I didn't have a fellowship of believers to walk along beside me. I didn't have a Bible study. But really... I had everything I needed right here, didn't I? Everything I needed. Ezra's willingness to take the word of God back to God's people, back to the remnant, and stand before them faithfully, even knowing initially that their hearts were not really in it, it started them on their journey to the transformed life that he's beginning to see right there. You know, and... Because Ezra was reading God's word to them, he didn't have to make up for them. He didn't have to get up before them and say, okay, let me try to explain to you who God is or let me try to explain to you what it is God expects from you. All Ezra had to do was read the word to them and every bit of that, who God is and what he expected of them was in this word. It was all written down for him to share. Reading God's word is an essential ingredient to a transformed life. It's eternal, it's alive, and as Ted told us a couple of weeks ago in his great sermon on God's Word, it does a great work on our hearts. Look on your verse sheet at Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our God endures forever. And Hebrews 4.12 that Ted talked about it couple of weeks ago says for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrows it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart I want to point out one other great insight in these verses before we move on Ezra's reading the word of God to the remnant and their response to it of respect And worship is a great example to us today of the role God's Word should play in our churches also. Whatever church or fellowship we're involved in, ladies, it may be Christ Chapel or you may be here as part of another church and we welcome you and we're glad that you're here. But whatever fellowship you're involved in needs to have the Word of God at the center of its worship. Being read being taught, and certainly being respected. Now think about it. What if Ezra had stepped up on that platform with those 
seven priests on either side of him. Um, And instead of reading God's word, he had begun to share some really great and exciting stories about when he met King Artaxerxes, you know, a few years before. Maybe, um, or maybe even give a little motivational talk to them now that they had all worked so hard and finished the wall in 52 days. It would have been entertaining. It would have been even encouraging to them maybe. But it wouldn't have been transforming. Just like the remnant, our lives are not transformed by motivational or entertaining speakers. Our lives are transformed by God's word. An important thing for us to remember as women of God, whether it's in our churches, whether we go to hear a retreat, what you want from that speaker is the word of God. Another thing we learned here that um, our lives are not transformed if we're part of a fellowship that thinks God's word is interesting but not necessarily true. What if Ezra had stepped up to that platform and opened those great scrolls from Moses and he had said to them, you know, Moses was an amazing and great guy, um, but he tells some pretty wild stories in here about the Red Sea parting and about all these plagues and that's pretty entertaining, but you know, those are just analogies. Those are not really uh, truth. That happens in churches in America all over on Sunday morning. People that open God's word and say, great stories, but not really the truth. What we saw from Ezra and the people here is that not only was the word of God at the center of their gathering that morning as they publicly read it out, stood for it, respected it, and gave attention to it. Um, They obviously valued it as the truth, as the inerrant word of God. If we want the heart change in our lives that the remnant experienced here, we must be a part of a fellowship um, that not only reads the word faithfully, but respects God's word as inerrant truth. Okay, let's keep reading together. We've already, I read verses 7 and 8 to you earlier, but let me start with verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. You know, none of the theologians I uh, looked at when I was studying this actually had an answer for how 30 to 50,000 people, and that was the number of people that stood before Ezra that day, how Ezra was actually able to speak loud enough or communicate to 30 to 50,000 people. But it's possible that what happened is Ezra would read some of the scriptures and then the Levites would go out and circulate among the people in small groups 
Uh, and they would translate the scrolls from Hebrew. All the scrolls that Ezra was reading from were written in Hebrew. And perhaps the Levites were going out among all the people. And one thing they were doing is translating it from Hebrew into Aramaic. Because Aramaic was actually the language of the Persian Empire. Now some of the Jews that were standing before Ezra may have been fluent, were fluent in Hebrew. But you have to remember that many of them had not been raised around the Hebrew language because they were raised in Babylon where the language was Aramaic. So many of them had come back as the remnant, possibly knowing a little Hebrew, but certainly not being fluent in it. Um, in addition to translating from Hebrew to Aramaic for those who need it, the Levites explained what the scriptures meant to the people and explained Okay, now that you know what it means, this is what it would look like if you apply it to your lives. The text says here that they were making it clear so the people could understand. You know, a definition for understand, someone read a great one in the leaders meeting this morning, but the one that um, I looked up of understanding says to understand means is to grasp the full meaning of knowledge. And I love that, grasp the full meaning of knowledge, to have discernment comprehension and the ability to interpret and that's what the Levites were facilitating here the response of the people to understanding God's word having the full meaning of its knowledge to to grasp it to have comprehension uh, when they do that the response is dramatic we see here in the text they begin to weep and they begin to mourn their hearts are really broken to discover how far away they have been from God when they begin to understand exactly what God's perfect will is for their lives. And they know, of course, God's perfect will that they're learning about in the scriptures is not the lives they have been living. And so as a result of understanding God's word, the people are convicted of the truth that while God had never left them, they had certainly left God. Now, apparently, during that six hours that Ezra was reading out of those five books of Moses, part of what he read to them must have been out of Leviticus chapter 23 because what they learn about and what he encourages them to go celebrate is what's called the festival or the feast of the trumpets. Look on your verse sheet, Leviticus 23, 23. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Now, if you look back at verse 2 here, you see that the day they're doing this is actually the first day of the seventh month. So, as they're standing here with Ezra and Nehemiah, they're being instructed that what they should be doing on this particular day is celebrating the feast of festival of the trumpets but instead of celebrating when they realize um, that they're not in God's will they're not celebrating that they become overcome with grief and with mourning and when Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites see how the people are reacting to this they step in and calm them and Nehemiah gives them um, some great insight in verse 9 where he says, This is the day holy to the Lord. Do not weep or mourn. Because what he's saying to them is, and he's given us great insight into understanding God's truth too. I loved it when I studied this. Nehemiah wants the people here to be motivated 
by understanding the Word of God as it convicts them. He wants them to be motivated when they understand, not paralyzed. He doesn't want them to finally understand the truth and simply be paralyzed by what they're hearing. Understanding God's will does convict our hearts. It cuts us to the bone and the marrow like Hebrews 4.12 says. You've probably had that experience in your life when you read something and thought, oh, I have been doing it so very wrong. But Nehemiah wants them to have more than just that conviction. Conviction is the start of understanding, but the next step is to be motivated by what you're understanding in God's Word, to be motivated and move forward now to do God's will. That's how we have transformed lives. We're motivated to move forward um, by what we understand not simply stuck in the grief of conviction. You know, Jesus, I thought it was interesting, Jesus actually presented that same principle to the adulterous woman in Jesus 8.11. Look on your sheet. Jesus said to the woman that had been caught in adultery, um, he says, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and sin no more. Jesus wants her to be motivated by now what she now understands about the life she's been living and what she now understands about the forgiveness he's offered her. He says, go, transform your life. Be motivated now to do that. When the bright light of understanding, and that is what it is, isn't it? When we finally understand the truth of God's word, we've been in a dark room and we finally feel along the wall and There's a light switch there and we flip it on and we're standing in the light suddenly when the bright light of understanding of God's word shines in our hearts. It shouldn't make us freeze like deer in the headlights. Instead, what it should do is light the path that God wants us to walk so that we can have transformed lives. That's what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 119, 105 when he says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. The bright light of understanding lights the path that God wants us to walk. Now, Nehemiah gives them some more great words right here about understanding uh, and moving forward with transformed lives. When he says in verse 10, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, Charles Spurgeon was the, um, an incredible 19th century preacher, and he actually preached a whole sermon. I, I had the privilege of going back and reading it when I was studying this. He preached a whole sermon simply on this verse, Isaiah 8, 10. Uh, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is kind of how Charles Spurgeon summed it up. He said, He who dwells in the light of God is both happy and strong. He who goes into the shade and loses the joy of the Lord becomes weak at the same time. We dwell in the light of God when we understand his word, when we realize its meaning, when we discover how to apply it to our lives. And what that does is it should give us both joy and strength to live a transformed life. Look at Psalm 1611 on your verse sheet. It says, You make known to me the path of life, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 119, 18, right underneath it says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We are simple. But understanding God's word 
gives us the joy and strength of God himself. Now, in spite of their initial grief, um, the, the great news is they are motivated uh, by their understanding of God's word. And verse 12 actually tells us that because it says they eat and they drink and they celebrate with great joy because now they understand the words that have been made known to them. The light of understanding has led the people of Israel to conviction, repentance, a desire to change, and a joy and strength that comes from knowing God. Okay, let's finish up our text. Let's start in verse 13. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back... Uh, branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in the courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until the day, uh, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. Their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So after they had celebrated the Feast of the Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month, the leaders of the people are so inspired by the transformation that is taking place in their lives because of God's word. They go straight back to Ezra the very next day because we see here now it's the second day of the seventh month. They go straight back to Ezra the next day and say, Give us more. We want more. And he does. You know, back in chapter 9 that we, of Ezra that we looked at a few weeks ago uh, with Deb, we see that Ezra was overcome. In verse 3 of chapter 9, it actually says Des, uh, Ezra was so overcome by the grief of the disobedience he was seeing in God's people that he pulled the hair out of his beard. Do you remember that? And pulled the hair out of his head and he tore his clothes and he fell down and he wept. Once again, the text doesn't tell us here that Ezra leaps for joy but he's got to be doing the happy dance that they are coming right back to him and saying okay we loved yesterday it's transforming our life to hear the word of God we want more of them what Ezra's seeing is the spiritual revival that has been brought about in the people by the word of God this transformation in them is actually remarkable if you think about it because they've gone from a people who blatantly ignored God to a people who are hungry to know God, to know his truth. And in fact, verse 15 says, not only are they hungry to know it and to know his truth, they're willing to go out and take his word out to all the people, the people that live out in the towns. You know, uh, I've raised a house full of boys. I have a whole house full of grandsons uh, right now, and there was a toy that boys loved. In fact, I think it's a movie now called Transformers, where you take that little car and all of a sudden it turns into a scary robot what Ezra sees here isn't the car becoming the scary robot but it's a scary disobedient people 
becoming a people who now long to know God and are obedient and understand his will for them. That is an amazing transformation, much better than a car to a scary robot, but from a scary people to a disobedient people, an amazing transformation. And because they want more God, Ezra gives it to them. Now, apparently, he's still reading in Leviticus 23 here because this time they discover something called uh, a command that God has given them to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. Look um, on your verse sheet. I've got a couple of verses on there. You can go back and read all of Leviticus after this if you want to. Leviticus 23:41 says, Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now that feast that we're reading about here commemorates the Israelites' years of wandering in the wilderness with Moses. Uh, And while they were doing that, of course, they didn't have permanent shelters, but they would make up uh, shelters out of what they had at hand. They lived in temporary shelters for all those years. And that's what this feast commemorates, the wandering in the wilderness. But you know, it also commemorates something else. If you read more about this feast in uh, Leviticus, you know that it also commemorates the promised land for them, that they were not forever going to live in temporary shelters, but they would eventually go into the promised land because, as it says here, he's the Lord their God. He has accomplished this miracle for them. Now, this particular feast would have special significance for the remnant because they've had a wilderness experience of their own, haven't they? For 70 years, they were in temporary homes in Babylon because they were captives. And now they, too, have returned to the Lord their God because he is their God, and he has promised that miracle for them. So they have to be excited, I imagine, as they learn about what this particular Feast of the Tabernacles is about. Um, Elsewhere in Leviticus, it says that this feast is to be celebrated from the 15th day of the seventh month to the 21st day of the seventh month. So since we're on the second day of the seventh month, it gives them almost two weeks to prepare for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's exactly what they do here with great excitement. We see them run out into the countryside, and I can't imagine how many branches they would have had to have gathered to build temporary shelters for 50,000 people, but that's apparently what they did. And as they were out in the countryside gathering all those branches, they were spreading God's Word. They were telling all the people that hadn't been in Jerusalem about what they're doing, and why. You know, the phrase, as it is written, at the end of verse 15, tells us an important thing. As it is written means they're doing exactly what God commanded. They didn't read it and then make it up on their own. As it is written means they're being obedient. This is a people that has come to the point of obedience. They are obeying obeying the word of God. And their obedience apparently brings them great joy because verse 17 tells us that this feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles, had not been celebrated so obediently or so joyfully since Joshua, son of Nun, had taken the people into the promised land. 
That was a thousand years earlier. So for the first time in a thousand years, they are celebrating with great joy and great obedience. Our chapter actually ends here with Ezra reading the book of the law to them day in and day out, which is exactly what Moses has commanded in the book of Deuteronomy, which they had probably also read. Um, And so every day during the Feast of the Tabernacle, Ezra reads uh, the law to them uh, all day long, Uh, And verse verse 18 ends the chapter by highlighting their obedience one more time. As they say, in accordance with regulation, there was an assembly. So the word has said it to these people and they're doing it. They're no longer giving excuses. They're no longer ignoring. They're no longer simply being defiant. Their obedience is the measure of a transformed life that the remnant of Israel is now living. A remnant that goes from having that hard, selfish heart to being a people that cares more about God and his law than they do about themselves. A remnant that can't wait to go out into the countryside and tell other people what the word of God says. And a remnant that can't wait um, to celebrate exactly the way he's commanded them. They are now a people that is so transformed that they have great joy doing it as it is written. You know, reading the Word of God is essential to a transformed life. Understanding the Word of God is that light that shines in our heart so that we know the path to walk and we're motivated to do it. But it truly is obedience to God's Word that measures that we understand what we know and we submit to what we understand. Obedience is the action that reveals not only our knowledge of God, but our great love for God. Look on your verse sheet, 2 John 1, 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands. Obedience is the heartbeat and the measure of a transformed life that knows God and loves God. Last November, my sweet husband and I traveled to England to spend some time with our kids that live in England. Um, It was the 1st of November, and my son was actually going to be deployed again in a few days. And so we had come to see him one more time because he was going to be gone over the holidays. And while we were there, we decided we would just cook a Thanksgiving dinner since we were not going to have the opportunity to be with him over the holidays. Now, a few days before, the day that we got there, my... um, I have the three of the cutest daughter-in-laws ever. And this one um, is amazing because she puts up with this military lifestyle. But uh, she had baked this delicious pumpkin cake when we got there, and it was fabulous, and we scarfed it all down. It it was gone pretty quickly. So as we planned to um, do our Thanksgiving dinner that afternoon, and let me tell you, doing a Thanksgiving dinner in England is kind of hard. They don't do Thanksgiving in England, so they don't have shelves of pumpkin and turkeys in their freezers and whatever. But we managed to gather up enough ingredients, a couple of big chickens and um, some things to have Thanksgiving dinner with. Well, she decided that she was going to bake that pumpkin cake again, so she begins to put that pumpkin cake together and discovers that, oh gosh, we used up all the ingredients for this. You know, we used up that, we used up that. So she and I began to make a few substitutions to this recipe as it went on. Um, So we slid the cake in the oven, and it smelled fabulous as it baked. And so we opened the oven, 
50 minutes later, and it is not a pumpkin cake. It is a pumpkin mush. In fact, you could have poured it in a glass, and we could have drunk it. I don't know how we got our substitution so wrong, but we did. In fact, we baked it for two more hours, and we still could have drunk it after that. It was never going to be a pumpkin cake. Our substitutions were the cause of a great failure uh, for our Thanksgiving dinner. You know, our God has really given us a pretty simple recipe for a transformed life. One that goes from being stubborn and self-centered and openly defiant to one that joyfully chooses obedience. And he doesn't want us to have the same experience that Leah and I had with the pumpkin cake, making substitutions that seem similar but don't measure up to his word. If we truly want a transformed life... We can't fall into the trap of substitutions. We can't begin thinking, um, instead of reading God's Word, you know what, I'll just read that popular book everybody's been talking about that kind of talks about God's Word. We can't begin thinking, instead of being a Bible study, I'm going to do something else more productive with my time on whatever day that is. We can't start thinking, instead of obeying God's Word, I'm going to walk a path that's really more attractive to me than obedience is. Substitutions to God's recipe for a transformed life are going to lead to an infinitely more disastrous and unappealing outcome than a mushy pumpkin cake. In his love for us and in his great mercy for us, God has given us a really simple one, two, three recipe for having the transformed life that our hearts really long for. And I know you all know it now, so I want you to say it with me right now. Number one, read God's Word. Number two, understand God's Word. Number three, obey God's Word. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and good. And um, I'm just overwhelmed with your love for us, that you give us the truth in your word, that you give us everything we need to know about you, everything we need for living a transformed life is right here in your love letter to us. And I thank you that we um, are women that are privileged to own copies of this word, to have the freedom to read it, to have the opportunity to gather together and to share with each other the truth from this word. Father, we're asking for your hand of favor on our lives, that you would continue to go before us so that we are women that read, understand, and obey God's word. Thank you, Lord God, so much for the truth that's in here that transforms our lives. Father, um, we just ask that we would be women that share the truth that we find in this book with everyone we know. And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.